Try it again. Welcome to Sports, Clicks, and Politics with your hosts, Ben Husson and me, Sean Hannon. Welcome to episode 45 of Sports, Clicks, and Politics, a two-week hiatus uh, for the show here. Mr. Husong, thank you for joining us. Thank you all for uh, tuning in today after a little hiatus. Uh, before I entertain us all with Mr. Husong's banter, would you all please like, share, and, and uh, subscribe to the channel? Uh, kind of promote us and get us out there and uh, share us with your friends. And then maybe Sean will stop taking vacations. Vacation in quotes. Um, <laughs> what uh <laughs> How, how was your uh, two weeks off? Uh, how's the ice cream business going? You're up and running, yeah? Yeah, ice cream's up and running, and it's uh, it's been great. Uh, the response has been overwhelming. It's been tremendous. Um, staff is good. We actually got some good kids working for us, and it's been an interesting Have you journey. had any trouble trying to find uh, people to work? Because people have said that uh, this has kind of been a hard thing to do with. I mean, I'm guessing, I don't know who you're. I'm you're, dealing with 16 year olds, right, so okay. no, not really. Uh, the, what I kept hearing is that the, the, it's going to be problems because they're lazy and they don't know how to do anything, et cetera, et cetera. And I found that to be somewhat true, but I've also found that being very direct, as anybody who's ever watched this show and you know me personally, is not something I struggle with. It's being exceedingly direct with people, and uh, I found that it did start out that way, and then I'm individually meeting with all of them and like just telling them, all right, here's what you're good at, here's what you're not good at, here's what you need to improve at if you want to keep this job. If you don't want to keep the job, that's fine. You, you can leave, and I understand. So, but if you want to keep it, you need to improve this and this. And I, I did some hiring over my years. Do you think that it's uh, laziness, or do you think it's lack of direction? Like, you're talking about being for, uh, directing here, and I don't know, we're yeah. kind of going off on a little bit of a uh, psychological okay. tangent here of 16-year-olds, but do you think that they're just not sure what to do and they're uncertain and therefore they're hesitant to do things or do you think that they just want to hang on their phone? I think it's both. Well, we don't allow them to have phones okay. out at the at the ice cream shop at all. You're not allowed to have your phone if you're working. You just got to go in the back. Um, so I think it's a little bit of both. I think it is more a lack of confidence, of, like a lack of willingness to just try something, of going, all right, look, guys, go ahead and practice. You're all brand new with this. Make ice cream cones. Do whatever else. And then I talked to them later on, like, well, what do you need to work on? Like, I'm not great at making cones. Well, have you been practicing? Well, no, because I don't want to waste your product and I feel bad. Like, I've told you this multiple times. Practice right now. Yeah, well, you're wasting my my money right now right. by not practicing. Right. You're wasting, <laughs> like, I'm paying you to be bad at something and I don't want that. Like, right. you have carte blanche right now for the next couple of weeks to practice as much as you want. And I try to break down the math for them of, like, look, you throwing out an ice cream cone, yes, that cost me a little bit of money. But if you're so slow that we end up losing five cars worth of business on the drive through that's going to cost me more money. Yeah. So I want you to practice. It's an investment. And it's a – so going back to your question, I think some of it is laziness. I think that we, societally speaking, if I'm allowed to say that, have sort of instilled laziness in kids for the most part, of very low expectations on what, what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing. But I don't think that it's a uh, – like a permanent trait. I think that once you direct them and point out at the idea of like, look – I am paying you to be here. So therefore, if you are ever sitting around thinking, oh my goodness, isn't this easy? Let me assure you something is wrong. And then just pointing out is every time I walk in the door, I look at him and go, all right, that needs to be clean. That needs to be clean. Sweep that, wipe that down. Why is that dirty? Restock this, let's do that. And they always go right to it. So I don't think they're 
uh, like permanently lazy people, and some of them are over the top ambitious right out of the gate. I do think some of it is a hesitancy of doing so, like afraid to make a mistake, almost afraid of getting yelled at, afraid of doing something wrong. And I'm looking at him and going, "Look, just go do something. I like I do something productive that can be helpful to the team later on." Don't let the cherries run out while you're sitting around joking. I want you to have fun, and I kind of lay out the expectation for all of them of this is not going to be an easy job, but it will be a rewarding job. You will get something out of this. You will learn a lot. You will make good money. Yes, we do pay minimum wage because we live in New York State, and I don't know any other option when you're serving ice cream, but you have to pay everybody twelve fifty an hour, but they're going to make tips. They're going to do everything else. So it's a, look, I would love to pay some of you more, kind of like to pay some of you less admittedly, but I can't because this is the bare minimum I have to pay a 15-year-old to come in and learn how to scoop ice cream. So now it's tip money. So the more cars we see, the more business we do, the friendlier we are, the better you are, the more engaging you are. All that leads to more tips. I don't take any of the tip money. That all goes to you guys. Have at it and, and go make more money and learn how to do work. Learn how to be more detail-oriented and a little more. I'm trying. I'm thinking of the right word. Self-starting. Uh, what What is the word here? Uh, initiative? Yeah, let's go with that. Take initiative. Of if you see something, go do it. And some of them, it was like a light switch went off where I was thinking after a shift, I was firing this person. I, I was, was done. Came in, like laid everything out. It was like a different person the next time he came in the store. It was unbelievable. Well, I think some of that is too, because you said you're working with a bunch of 14, 15, 16-year-olds or whatever it is. I'm sure this is probably... Their first job. Their first job, right? So they don't know. They don't have necessarily expectations and, and what to expect from boss and whatnot. So, uh, well, you know, li- you know, tr- trials and tribulations of the business owner world. We're, we're trying things, yeah. man. And well, God bless New York State. They keep trying to make it as difficult as humanly possible. But what are you going to do? Yeah, you know. You, Try uh, to keep selling ice cream. Exactly. Yeah, just get another customer. So. Everybody loves ice cream. All right. So, so something we touched on in episode 44, which obviously was two weeks ago, that we didn't get a chance to uh, follow up on. We got a Masters winner, Hideki Matsuyama, first Japanese major winner. Good for him. He was already like a cult figure in his home country already because he was so good at golf, and golf was kind of like a huge thing in in Japan. So I'm guessing this is probably good for his bank account. I would assume so in addition to the $10 What is it? Uh, Oh, no, total prize money is $10 I think he got like $2.4 I think. (laughs) Chump change. And obviously this puts him closer to whatever the FedEx Cup thing, you know, because obviously when you majors, he's he's, going to – Almost by default, by winning a major, you're going to be high up in the FedEx ranking. So he's yeah. going to have some residual income coming from that. But the sponsors, he's going to kill it, right? So he's just going to. Oh, I mean, I'm sure he's already got major sponsors, um, but this obviously just amplifies him. So, but it was good to see. I mean, like I said, that dude can. I mean, you know, sometimes when he gets hot, he just that can dominate. He can just dominate. But then he cannot putt sometimes. So he's yeah. just, you know, he is what he is. So. Not ideal. Yeah. He's a unbelievable talent with flaws. Yeah, and I think he his. I think it was his third round that he shot really low, and that was the round that I feel like the weather was the delay or something was going on, and he was kind of the only one who it didn't affect. And so everybody else kind of fell back. He he pushed forward, and it kind of separated himself, and he just played defense on Sunday and won by a stroke there. So, so you know last time we were talking about how you like to do nothing and I can't yeah. do nothing, so that's like the, the major distinction. This is the first. I think I've, I've come to the realization I have too much going on right now because I did not watch one minute of the Masters. That's never happened in my entire life. Yeah, that's too much. I had no time whatsoever. I mean, they make it the hard Masters. for you to watch the Masters. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, you can't just tune in regularly. You know, they, have, they have to create this excess demand on the on the viewing but you can always go back to the app i think the app might still be live you can probably go watch the whole freaking masters all over again i might i, like, I, would, I realized it on sunday i was like all right sunday i'm finally going to settle down and i'm going to sit and i'm going to watch it 
And uh, like off Thursday, Friday, Saturday, everything else, I was like, oh, my God, I just want to sit down and watch golf, but I got too much going on. I can't. I can't. I got to go help out at the ice cream shop. I got to go work on the other business. Like, finally, Sunday, I was like, this is my day. <laughs> my wife calls, like, something's wrong with the machine. I need you to come in. Like, all right. Cool. Yeah. That was, that's what I was hoping you were going to say. But yeah. between that and running around with the kids, obviously, I, like, I wasn't going to give up time with the kids so I could sit on my lonesome and watch golf. Like, yeah. I'm not that big of a jerk. Yeah. I'm an okay dad. Yeah. No, that's all right. So, we, you know, we, I don't think we've ever touched on, we talk about a little bit about crypto here. We, I don't think we've ever touched on like in-depth Dogecoin, no? I mean, how much depth is there to Dogecoin? I guess that's true. <laughs> uh, since it was founded as a joke, I guess. But, you know, obviously we know Elon loves the Dogecoin and has been, uh, you know, pumping that thing for whatever it's worth and whatnot. But I, I, I'm going to break some news here, Mr. Husang. So I sold my one share of GameStop. Okay. My one free share that I got from Robinhood referral. Sold that, and I bought 450 Dogecoin. Would so now I'm on the Dogewagon. I think there were, it was like 30 cents when I bought it. All right, what is it now, 50? 39, 30. 39, I'm looking at it right now, 39, 4. I mean, that's that's like a 12% return. Yeah, I mean, day. it got up to 47 at one point that day. Yeah. I bought it kind of on its way down um, just because I was like, yeah, I was getting bored with the GameStop story, so now I'm going to jump on the, the Doge. It's all free money at this point. I got one free share of GameStop, right? So now I'm just going to turn it into a million Time Doge. Out. Time out. Yeah. The GameStop, like the CEO re- literally resigned today, and that's not interesting enough for you. Uh, I saw that, but I had already made the transaction. The so. That's not interesting. Yeah. I got it. All right. You might have a problem. Yeah. Just throw I mean, that out there. Stonks, crypto, and all that good stuff. All right. Yeah, Dogecoin, for those that don't know, is a cryptocurrency that is was absolutely founded as a joke, as like a parody of cryptocurrency. And then uh, Elon Musk tweeted out about it a few weeks ago, And the guys, the same, I'm going to call them Reddit bros, that instigated the run on GameStop, AMC, Tootsie Roll, Nokia, all that, um, started going after Dogecoin. And, you know, true to form, Robinhood halted trading on Dogecoin again this past week when when it started going crazy. But it was at like, uh, I think a month ago, it was less than a cent a share. It was at like eight-tenths of a cent for one Dogecoin. And now it's worth... 39 almost 40 cents a share so i mean to put this into perspective if you had a thousand dollars you were sitting on and you bought it when it was a month ago you just turned a thousand dollars into forty five thousand dollars of actual real money crazy i had people call me and ask me about it i was like listen i can't advise you on cryptocurrency anyway because i don't understand it well enough i love the concept i own it i will continue to buy it i'm not touching dogecoin and the reason is because it just like as much as cryptocurrency doesn't make sense to me, but I get the basics. I don't even get the basics of why I'm buying Dogecoin. No, and I, and I don't. You know, I've known it existed forever since it's existed, but I've never been interested in it other than just it's just crazy. So now it's I'm just going to try. I'm just going to piggyback on the story. That's all. I'm just trying to ride the coattails of the whatever's it. fun. Genuinely, I love it. I've, and if you want to go buy it, have at it. But just understand, like. What is the utility here? Like, it, it is legitimately a momentum play on a joke that, and also it's, I think, somewhat in response to the inflationary policies we're seeing out of the Federal Reserve where they're just sending everybody money. People have money. There's still too many travel restrictions for people to go spend the money the way they want to spend it. And they're just going nuts. 
Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. It's, it's Listen, even my kid. Even my kid texted me. He's like, "Do you have any Doge going?" I'm like, "Nope." That was before I made the transaction, so now I have to fill him in and tell him that I got some here. I so. had a client call and asked me, "Can you buy me Doge coin?" I was like, "No, <laughs> because uh, that's not my job." He, I, I, my kid's probably just pumping his inheritance, so now Smart. he's got he's got Doge coin. <laughs> got Doge coin coming. Um, Speaking of Dogecoin going to the moon or maybe going to Mars in honor of Elon Musk, we do have a helicopter on Mars, Mr. Hussong. Did you see this? I, I heard this, yes. So, yeah, we have this uh, an Ingenuity, I feel like it's called. Um, a four-pound, well, four pounds on Earth uh, helicopter, one and a half pounds on Mars. Space is so weird. Interesting. Um, but, yeah, so it's kind of like a drone. You know, it's got like the the... I don't know, multiple propellers there. You know, it, it, it took its first flight. It went up 30 feet, went straight up, kind of hovered, and went straight back down for like 10 seconds. So it's like Orville and Wilbur Wright all over again. It's amazing. Wasn't there something from Orville and Yeah, Wilbur something Wright? from their first plane was on Ingenuity. So something from that plane is on the helicopter on Mars. It's amazing. It's weird. Listen, obviously the question is like, why should I care uh, what happens on Mars? But I think about the science that goes into that and, and what, what else could be possible when you get to mars and i, I heard somebody use the analogy and let me piggyback and i'll let you hit go me, so me. not only did the helicopter there but also the mars rover was there what filming the helicopter take off so i mean you know, they have like a, a whole fleet of That's pretty cool yeah so yeah they're working on a way that you could actually do botany on mars and it's gonna have to be obviously um roofed and enclosed buildings because the atmosphere on mars is not thick enough to to allow us to habitate the planet but similar to the movie The Martian, which I still have not seen and I really should, you can set up structures there that would allow the growth of plants and edible like plants. biodomes. Like biodomes is a good word. So I heard one of the scientists, and I'm blanking on the name, I apologize. Uh, he doesn't listen. Who? The scientist. Good for him. I, I thought you were apologizing to him for now. Oh, yeah, no, I'm sure he's an avid <laughs> listener. Like, obviously, really into sports clicks and politics in New York State. Um, but what he said was, look... We don't know what the utility is yet any more than when the settlers left Europe and went to America. They didn't know what the utility of America would be. It wasn't like they could plan out that it was going to be this vast area full of natural resources. They didn't know, but they went and they wanted to figure it out. And then they developed and discovered the utility as they went around. Now, it didn't go so well for the people that were here first, admittedly. But thankfully, to the best of our knowledge that we know of, there's nobody. I mean, they disappeared. They could be in a better place. Yeah, let's go with that. Uh, that's that's way way easier. Uh, you know, never mind that whole smallpox and the blankets thing. That yeah. was that was crazy talk. Um, but now he's saying like, look, you're you're talking about if we can get there and get to the point where we can reliably and re- and cost effectively go back and forth. You you don't know what what you could get, and it's amazing to think about. And I like that sounds crazy, but. It's not that different than when people started talking about sailing across the ocean on wooden ships using the stars, like to areas they've never seen or heard of. Imagine telling somebody 700 years ago, yeah, we're going to we're going to get on this boat. We're going to store as much food as we can and we're just going to go see where we end up. Like that you'd be like, why would you do that? That's crazy. That that doesn't make any sense. We're never going to be able to do anything with it. It takes two months just to go anywhere that's net there's no utility i mean again not so much for the natives but for everybody in europe that worked out fairly well like that that resulted in positive net results but i'm curious to see where this goes on mars i'm genuinely intrigued i'm fascinated by the whole concept um 
I don't know. I, I I'm I'm excited. Yeah, no, it's fun. Like you said, it's a it's just a kind of a a culmination of a bunch of different technologies that have kind of met all there on Mars. So here's the question. Yeah. If the opportunity were to arise in your lifetime, would you have any interest whatsoever in going to live on Mars? Going to live on Mars? Yes. I guess I'd almost have to if you were going to try to get me to go there. I don't think you're coming back. Yeah, I don't think it would. (laughs) I think you're living and dying on Mars. uh, At this, right now, I would say no. Um, You know, I don't even like roller coasters, so let alone, you know, I'm trying to live forever. So the the trip to Mars is jeopardizing my living forever. Fair enough. Um, uh, at a different point in my life, maybe I, maybe when the, uh, solar flare happens and they're like, Hey, Mars is safer than earth. I'm in. That's fair. Did you know that there was a solar flare last night? Actually, you're supposed to let me know when these things happen. It wasn't directed at earth. Okay. It was directed directly at Mars. Conspiratorial. <laughs> Even the sun's in on it. I'm just wondering if these, uh, two pieces of technology are going to, you know, recognize that or be affected by it at all. We'll find out in a That'd couple of days. Yeah. Um, I feel like I would love to, honestly. Like that, the idea appeals to me on so many levels. Of like, absolutely, you give me the opportunity to go live on another planet, I'm in. But I have a wife, I have children. Uh, I hope yeah. to one day have grandchildren. So the answer is probably no. Yeah, you're probably not on that list. No, I'm probably I'm probably not making the cut to to go do that. As much as instinctually, my answer is like, heck yeah, let's go do this. That sounds awesome. Um, but I yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I said. I- I'm hoping in, uh, I mentioned, uh, <clears throat> that I know a rocket scientist that I'm hoping to maybe someday invite onto the show. So maybe if we get some crazy news on Mars and, uh, more crazy Phantom than space, landing. you guys check out Phantom space. He's a, uh, rocket scientist, Jim Cantrell. He's fun, dude. More crazy than landing a helicopter on the planet. Um, he's it's, that's just a stepping stone for this dude. I feel like, it's awesome. like I mean, it's still cool. Obviously we're, we're at a peak, but I don't think we're at the final peak. That's all. No, I would agree with that. I hope not. I hope yeah, this no, isn't the pinnacle so. of our exploration to Mars. No. All right. Well, speaking oh, of, wait, before we move yeah. on, I had a question. So going back to your thoughts on living forever yeah. or living longer. Yeah. If you look at the relationship between the gravitational pull and time and how time goes slower when there's less gravity, if you went to Mars, it would probably extend your life, at least according to the years on earth. Maybe, um, if that was the only factor determining my existence was the <laughs> gravitational pull on my body, I guess. But it's one. I, it's one. It's a big one. I mean, I would factor it in. I had a friend um, send me a link last night that said, does gravity cause time? And I just wrote back, like, what are you doing to me? Like, well, I'm not into listen, enough weird stuff well, now. Well, you can ask Ben Davidson that when we have him on the next, but I'm pretty sure that gravity is just a byproduct of magnetism, which is a byproduct of electricity. So... Do with that what you want. I'm so fascinated by yeah. all of this. And it's so overwhelming. Like, my brain is going to break from trying yeah. to understand well, this. Like it's, imp- it's impossible for either one of us, I would think, to ever, even if we started right now and immersed ourselves into whatever we wanted to immerse ourselves with space and electricity, universe, cosmology, whatever. There's always going to be somebody who started before us who's going to know more. So I feel like I could just ask that dude. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, we're never going to be able to be like the forefront of the information in cosmology, right? Somebody's right. already there. I, I mean, listen, I'm not trying to be the it's forefront. Interesting. I'm just trying to understand it. That's it. I just, everything that I do is just to get almost like enough to be dangerous. I just want to understand the concept. I don't need to know every detail. I just want to have a firm understanding of the overall concept and how it works. And I do think that the concept, the overall concept is genuinely a super intriguing discussion because... Obviously, we're working under the uh, the theory of the Big Bang and the expanding universe and all that stuff, which flies 
completely opposite of what you'd see in the electric universe theory. So, um, which is what Ben Davidson kind of, uh, yeah. tap, taps into there. So, um, I, I do, I, you know, I'm totally a geek over that stuff. So let's talk about something else. that's astronomical, uh, $212 million New York state budget. 18. <laughs> I, it's, it's literally like astronomical. Like so- how, how do they do it? Because the money's not real. It's it and it's not even just the budget too, right? So they got all this federal aid. Yeah. They passed this budget. Yeah. They passed legal weed. They passed legal gambling. They have all they they have literally more money coming piling into them. So we can cut taxes, right? No. Oh darn. They're gonna raise taxes, my Obviously. friend. Obviously. On the most wealthy. Oh good. The yeah. ones who pay the large majority of the uh current tax uh revenue for the state now well if we've learned anything from state tax measures in the past from other states and in new york it's that if you just keep increasing the taxes on the wealthy all the problems get solved absolutely every time without exception and then when the when it and then the weather drives them out of here so it's that weather man it's weather always gets them in the end god I mean, it's not like California is having the same. Pro- oh wait, no, they are. They're having the exact same problem that New York's having, right? Yeah, it's it's crazy that that they literally. got... I mean, obviously, we, we're we're dealing with a. Uh, would you use the word neutered uh, Governor Cuomo here earlier today? So uh, <laughs> yes. he did not put up much of a fight for pretty much any of this. Uh, nor could he because he's basically dead man walking. Um, and I'm guessing that if if I was uh, any anybody in leadership in 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 the uh, house and the uh, state legislator, I would have used that and said, listen, you, you know, you're getting impeached if you don't say yes to this. So um, I'm assuming that maybe not directly stated like that, but I'm assuming there was some indirect uh, saying like, no, this is how we're going it regardless of what you think, Mr. Cuomo. So yeah. um, I don't know. Like I said, it's hard to kind of, you know, they haven't, the, the pundits haven't even broke down the budget yet. So I'm not, we're not going to do it here, but so, the, the number is gigantic. Yeah. Listen, we got $12 billion in federal aid, $12 billion from the federal government. And apparently that's not enough to cover the deficit. All right. Well, what the heck are we doing? Like a $12 billion inflow. That's, that's, yeah, I think fun. we had an $18 billion increase over last budget too. It's, it's crazy. And here's my, listen, I don't care if the wealthiest 1% of people pay more in taxes. I really don't care. I have no sympathy for them. I have no empathy for them. I've never been that wealthy. Odds are pretty good. I'm never going to be that wealthy. Dogecoin. To the moon. But all the same, my issue with it is from a public policy standpoint of it's not going to work it's not a moral issue it's not an ethical issue it's an economic issue the economics of taxing people more that already account for over 80 percent of the tax revenues collected is bananas they're not gonna stay wall street firms are moving out of new york city banks are moving out of new york city tech firms are not even coming into new york city business startups are not happening in this state so not at a level that it, that would be required to maintain the spending. So at some point, if you just assume that the answer to every problem is tax the rich more, they're not paying their fair share, they're not paying enough, you're going to run out of the ta- the rich people's money because they are going to leave. Yeah, just going to run out of rich people. Yeah, the rich people, listen, I will be the first one to tell you, I don't love New York State. I love the area where I live. I love my neighbors. I love my friends. I love the school my kids go to, everything else. If I woke up tomorrow worth 10 billion dollars i would move out of new york state in a minute without a second thought because it cannot possibly make enough economic sense for me to stay here it costs me too much money 
there's no reason for me to pay that much. Especially when you can go to a place like Florida. Right. I can go to Florida. I can go to With Tennessee. I can go to Mexico. I can go to Arizona. I can go to Idaho. I can go to North Dakota, South Dakota. Like, there's so many other options that allow me to keep so much more of my money that I can then fly back and forth and be perfectly be better off economically speaking and what you have to understand about people that are wealthy is they have that option just because you wouldn't do it doesn't mean they wouldn't do it and the fact that they won't do it is not an indictment of their character or their ethics it's pragmatism it's the idea of all right i'm already getting soaked by paying so much in taxes and here's the thing talk about fair share all you want i truly i don't care good but you're only looking at income tax Because when you start looking at what people actually pay in taxes between their regular income tax from the federal government, their state income tax, the FICA tax, Social Security and Medicare, the Obamacare tax on on investments, state sales tax that you have to pay, utility tax, gasoline tax, um, sin taxes, all of these things when you start adding them up, travel taxes, rail tax, all this stuff. You will be amazed at how much you actually pay in taxes because if you you don't have to be a top one percenter if you're making married filing jointly making about two one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars a year and you live in a house and you pay property taxes that's the ones I forgot to mention property tax school tax town tax village tax at least half of your income is going to taxes at least half because you're not looking at all the different taxes like. I don't remember. Do you remember what the uh, federal rate is on fuel for taxes? Because I want to say it's like four cents a gallon or fourteen cents a gallon. It was one of the two. I know it's a big jump. I apologize. I don't remember offhand. But then the state has its own tax on top of that, and then they pay for all the utilities that come into your house that you don't you don't break down the bill. There's taxes on that. There's taxes on your electricity, on your uh, on your oil usage, on everything. There are taxes on it. So I'm, I promise you, sit down and actually run the numbers and do the math because I've done it, and I stopped counting when I got to 50% because I, I got too frustrated with it. And that's yeah. why I hear, they got to pay your fair share. Like, what that, is my fair share? Yeah, and fair is all relative to the person. And what happens is that tax is supposed to be applied to only the 1% or whatever it is. When they leave, there's now a new 1%, right? So sure they, it, just, it just moves down, and eventually it just gets applied to everybody. And, and you that's saw pretty much even, where we're at. And you even see it with Biden's tax proposals of, like, nobody making under $400,000 will be affected. And then it was like the little asterisk on the back end, and now it's like, well, that's married filing jointly, so it's actually $200,000. Like, $200,000 up here in upstate New York is a ton of money. You, you're living very comfortably as long as you make any sort of moderately responsible decisions with how you spend your money. Dogecoin. Obviously. $200,000 a year in Manhattan is okay. You're not rich. You're not wealthy. You are paying New York City taxes on top of all the other taxes. Plus, you have to pay, like, God forbid, if you want a car. You got to pay another month's rent just to have a place to park. Like, the cost of living is so much higher in New York City, in Manhattan specifically, than it is up here. That, yeah, it's easy to say, well, yeah, who gives it to... um, I don't want to curse. So who cares about the people making $200,000 a year? They're wealthy. Well, up here, they're not really wealthy, but they're well off and they're probably rich. Down there, you're upper middle class. At that level, I'd say you're probably upper middle class based on how far your money goes. Because the reality is the only thing that matters with regards to money is what you can get with it. All right. And this is where we worry about inflation of you want a living wage for everybody. Great. A living wage is different in Idaho than it is in Manhattan. 
It's not close to the same number. And if you try to match it up, all you're going to do is cause inflation in the lower priced areas that is then going to reduce what you can actually buy with the money. And this is what I mean. It's not a moral issue or an ethical issue. It's an economic issue. The policy won't work to attain the goal stated. If you want to actually attain the goal, you need to change the strategy. If you just want to tell people how good of a human you are and maintain your moral superiority over everybody else while basking in the ignorance of economics, by all means have at it, and a career in politics just might be right for you. And we were talking about how uh, Cuomo didn't have much uh, clout during negotiations for the budget. We got a new poll from Siena, who's usually, who's usually actually, I feel like, of all the polls is pretty much in the back pocket of the governor. Like I usually feel like he's like, all right, well, Sienna's going to be the high mark. Yeah. But let's go to Sienna's new poll. 40% of responders say they view Cuomo favorably down from 77% at his peak there a year ago. So, um, almost down 50% of favorability. Um, they still, I think the majority of people still did not think he should resign, but 57% of the people actually thought that they would vote for somebody else in the uh, next governor race. Who are these 40% of people approving of this job? Um, you can like the guy and still not approve of the job. It's older folks. That's that's the people he's kept the favorability with most, so maybe they're not paying attention to the news. I, I think that's even more horrifying. I'm just saying. Well, oh. I, yeah, right. Oh, my God. So... This is kind of, I, I don't see a path victory for anybody other than a Democrat in New York for governor race. Yeah, I know a lot of the the Republicans are totally, you know, enamored with trying to find the right person, the right candidate yeah. this this time because they think they got a weakened, weakened uh, uh, incumbent. And I'm guessing at this point, I mean, he hasn't resigned yet. I, you know, if he still runs, I, uh, man, I don't know. I, I think he still runs as long as he doesn't, if he doesn't resign or is not forced to resign, I think he runs again. Of course he does. Cause and he's so, an egomaniac. He probably, it, it, and I've said this out loud a couple times, is the only thing, the only people who can ever unseat Cuomo are going to be the New York Democrats, right? So they're going to have to put up somebody in a primary who's going to beat Cuomo in the primary. And that, that's a yeah. gigantic task, first of all. I mean, the voters, I think, could be there, but the infrastructure is not going to be there. I mean, Cuomo's going to dominate the Democrat Party. And I just, I mean, there's, well, so the five Republicans who have come out in, uh, by name who have kind of expressed interest, um, Congressman Lee Zeldin, uh, Queens, I think, Suffolk County. Sure. I can't remember something down downstate. Um, former governor candidates, uh, the last two Republican governor candidates, Mark Molinaro, who ran in twenty seventeen yep. or twenty eighteen, yeah. and Rob Astorino in twenty fourteen. Oh. So they're both uh, throwing their name, and uh, Elise Stefanik. Uh, say, God Country. forbid we get somebody new, <laughs> and uh, Elise Stefanik up there. So she has not said no. So that's still a possible yes. And then the most that intriguing is not name for consent, though. the intriguing name is Andrew Giuliani. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the five names being tossed about right now for the uh, New York governor race. I hate this place so yeah. much. So congratulations. So just for those keeping track at home, we've got a Cuomo running, a Giuliani running, two people that already ran, one woman who's newer to politics but is not actually announced that she's running, and Lee Zeldin. Yeah. I got. get why we can't get new people, though, because honest to God, who would want the job? I'm just saying. Like I, I said, have no interest. You no, could come to me tomorrow and be like, hey, I got everybody behind you. I'd be like, nope. No, Sorry, I, buddy. Absolutely not. I got better stuff to do, and I don't need the headache of dealing no, with I think, that. Listen, I mean, that is the literally the underlying problem in politics is that people who could be good at it don't 
even want to be bothered with it. So it's 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 left to the people who want to abuse it. That's where we're at. Unfortunately. Yeah, I, unfortunately. So, and you know what? This is where we go back to the idea of trying to continually make the government bigger is not going to solve that problem. That no, it's problem. Worse. Is, yeah, it's, it's only you're going to get more of those people, the more jobs you create for them. Um, yeah, like this is where I'm, I'm going to go back to it was the, the presidential election when it looked at early on in 2016 like it was going to be Hillary Clinton versus Jeb Bush. And you're staring at the field going, can we not get anybody new in here? Is that not allowed? That, that that thought right there is literally the reason why I got involved in politics. I'm like, we're going to have the Bush and the Clintons dynasties. We're going to have Bush, Clinton, Bush, Clinton over and over and over again. And, yeah. and I was like, I, this can't happen. We're, we, we, we don't need legacy politicians running this country. No, I agree. And I think the other half of that, look, I, I say it like nobody wants the job. And I, I mean that. I don't think many reasonable, well-intentioned, highly ethical people want the job because of what you have to deal with to do it. The other half of that coin is because the two major political parties in the country, and more specifically in New York State with the Democratic Party, have set it up to be almost impossible to get to that without their approval and consent. Like, this is where it was so remarkable about Donald Trump's run, was that it it was incredible because he didn't have the Republican Party on board. They they didn't want him. They wanted no part of him. They wanted him to stay away. And he somehow still managed to do it, which is amazing. Now, I, I'm not, I mean, it's amazing, but it's and it's unique. And I, I found it fascinating. But the Republican Party is so weak. That's why it happened. Right? I, at least I, I agree. I mean, they have nobody who could have stopped him. That was really what it is. Yeah, I think that at some point you still get the idea of I think most people don't actually line up with the ideals of the party that they identify with. I think if people That's actually sat down and looked at it, you'd realize that you you don't I, like I don't. This is where we say I'm politically homeless of like there is no party that that I freely fully acknowledge with. I don't even know that there's a majority at this point of either party or any party that I'm like the most on board with because there's so many issues that you want to get into that all require so much nuance if you're actually going to to get there. And the problem with our two party system is that it's boiled everything down to all or nothing. So either COVID is a seasonal flu and it's absolutely should have been disregarded or it's the plague and we should have shut down all society. Nobody's allowed a third opinion. Uh, Getting into bail reform and justice reform. Either you want every single person thrown in prison for no matter how minor the drug offense or how minor the offense and kept there forever because they're thugs and they earned it. Or I'm all for nobody should ever be in prison and we got to shut them down because it's an antiquated racist system that only serves the benefit of the rich. Wait, no, that immigration, open borders are closed. What, wait, what? No, 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 wait. Oh, social are you spending. You're trying to say that these things aren't binary. I, it's an odd thought, I know, but imagine that. But we want to boil everything down because we cannot be bothered to learn the actual nuances or consider the unintended consequences of what we're going to do. Listen, I'm all for having as much immigration as possible. And I think most people are actually on board with, I don't want to say that much. I'm probably a little further along on that, but. A lot of people are open for immigration. I don't know anybody that's saying shut the country down and don't let anybody in. But if you if you have open borders and a strong social safety net program across the country, how do you think that ends? If everybody can come over and immediately qualify for health insurance and some type of subsidized living, you can't do this forever because the money runs out. I, I don't have a better way of expressing it. I, I would love, I want every person to be happy, healthy, living comfortably, having a job that they are proud of and are content with. I do. But we're letting perfection get in the way of better. Yeah, really. I, and it's not, I don't think it's 
it's perfection per the side, I guess, but it's really just they need to paint the other side as something they're not right, so that they can maintain the whatever the collective advantage that they think they have. So it's all just Red Sox Yankees, right? It's all just a my team versus your team. It's the color, it's yeah. the color of their cloth. It doesn't really matter what they say. It's just the other guy is bad. And my favorite is when they're like, oh, so-and-so is engaged in unethical behavior. Typical Republican, like... How about just typical politician? Like, we can't get to that. Like, you, if you think your side is as clean as the driven snow, I got bad news for you. Both parties are equally corrupt. Was there fraud in the 2020 election? Of course there was. There's fraud in every election. Was it enough to matter? Probably because otherwise they wouldn't do it because the penalties are actually fairly steep if you get caught. So they're not doing it for nothing. You want to know the reality? The Democrats outcheated the Republicans this time. It happens. I'm pretty sure in 2016, the Republicans outcheated the Democrats. It happens. Like, the idea that it that there's no fraud or I mean, that Tr- it didn't Trump matter. Trump won. Trump, oh my God. I'm just saying. I, I can't imagine. I can't figure that out either yet. So. I know. Like, but all the same, if you go back all the way to 2000, of course there's fraud in every election. And of course it matters. Because if it didn't matter, they wouldn't do it. If they didn't, if it really didn't make a difference, they would not engage in the behavior. They engage in the behavior. They take the risk because the reward is worth it. This is basic human elements. Of course it mattered. But the idea that it was only the Democrats is a joke. It's absolutely laughable. And this is where we go into the the Republican Party, whether you want to say that it's so disorganized and weak or they really still didn't want Donald Trump because they found him to be detrimental to the party and detrimental to the fundraising. So they didn't cheat as hard as they normally do. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe Mitch McConnell's above that. <laughs> no. <laughs> let's, uh, let's switch governors. Okay. Governor We're DeSantis. Ron DeSantis. So this has happened. Uh, this happened right, I think, right after our, maybe it was the day after our last show. But anyway, so uh, Governor DeSantis, Florida governor, Death Santis, uh, according to many New Yorkers, um, yep. when compared to Cuomo, uh, held a public roundtable with a bunch of public health experts, uh, including the three... Uh, uh, authors of the Great Barrington Declaration, mm-hmm. uh, Jay Bhattacharya, uh, Martin Kaldorf, and Sunitra Gupta. Um, and I think there might have been Michael Levitt might have been there too. He's like another, he's like a Nobel laureate, whatever. I don't know, another public health official with, with clout. Smart guy. Um, having a discussion about policies, right? So they were basically breaking, they were talking pros and cons of policies. They publish, you know, NBC uh, Tampa, I think it was, uh, publishes this this piece. They uh, run a story on it. They post a video. Uh, YouTube pulls the video for uh, basically saying that it went against their community guidelines. I actually pulled it up here to see what it looks like. Love it. This video has been removed for violating YouTube's community guidelines. It's just literally a blank black square with the the the, the message there. Um, and this. You know, there was no warning, no uh, announcement, no nothing. All of a sudden, uh, there was a, a NBC. Just their, their story was off of their 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 news site. So, YouTube pulled a news story from a news agency, NBC even, about public health experts talking with a public policymaker about public policy decisions, and decided that that was not educational enough to keep on their platform. What's the issue? <laughs> it's uh- crazy talk. Like, what is, I mean, listen, first off, Ron Death Santis is obviously just trying to kill people and he's trying to spread misinformation so that he can have his own presidential run in four years. So the idea that you're cheering for leaving up access to this information that people can then opt whether to view or not to view with 
designated experts in the field makes you sound kind of fascist, if I'm being honest. Well, good. They they did it again. They went and did another whole other roundtable and said, yeah, all right, screw you guys. We're going to do another one. And so they did another one. This one hasn't pulled and pulled down yet. So if you want to uh, go uh, check that out, please do. Um, but, uh, you know, this is just more of a, like, this seems like, complete overreach i mean we talked about a bunch of the tech censorship stuff that's been going on but this like literally is a thing that should be available for anyone to digest it doesn't it's not it's it's not what they're paying it out to be and it it makes me think a lot less of youtube even more yeah you're not allowed to have a difference of opinion anymore i guess that's the problem is they're literally having a public health discussion trying to determine what's the best way to do it and you can't have the conversation because the other side is presented yeah i I get it's a private company. There's no issue with a private company choosing what it wants to put and not put out, and et cetera, et cetera. So please let me base all my statements that I'm going to make from that standpoint. Of, I'm not but saying... Can, and, and all quickly, there can be tyranny from a private company, of right? I mean, can. this is clear an example of So it. we're going to get into that. Like Legally speaking, yes, it's a private company. They are allowed to do whatever they want, and that's perfectly okay. I'm, I'm not telling you the federal government should go and mandate that they put the video up or anything else. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that it's still wrong, is that ethically and morally what YouTube is doing is still incorrect. They are engaging in a behavior that is troubling. Like the idea of burning books in Germany back in the day and of suppressing information to the counterpoint of view is, historically speaking, not a good instinct and is generally not going to be the one that ends up, when we look back historically, that everybody goes, thank God we did that. That's usually the one that people go, oh my God, I can't believe they did that. And that's the thing, like, look, you don't think all of this stuff that's happened historically. Germany wasn't the only one that's ever, like, banned the use of books and burned them and tried to shut down all opposition. It's a very common occurrence. The problem is that it's never, I'm going to overly simplify, it's never the good guys that do it. Typically, it's a let's engage in debate, let's have a discussion, let's, let's, I get I am not a doctor nor a scientist or anything else, but I'm a well-educated, reasonably intelligent adult who can read and understand English. So, it's not like it's impossible for me to gra- grasp the concept. And there's so many sources of information out there to verify and fact check and everything else that I feel like I can come to a conclusion as an informed adult who actually cares enough to read this stuff. If you choose not to, God bless you. That's your right. Nobody's going to make you click on the video and watch it. You don't have to ingest this information. You can avoid it and choose not to listen. And I know, I know it's those stupid Trump supporters that are too gullible to ever understand the differences and the distinctions said unironically by people that refuse to read, listen, or watch any video to a contrarian point of view. It's amazing what we have come to as a society. It is amazing that a move like this gets cheered instead of absolutely ridiculed as it should. Because this should be one area where everybody can get together and say, look, we're not talking about somebody coming out with conspiracy theories or anything else. This is a reasonable discussion with public health policy. Yeah, and some like the leading public health officials in the world. It's not like yeah. it's just, you know. But they went against the narrative, and right. that, now exactly it's all right. downhill. And that's the problem is that, going to your point about there can be tyranny from a private company. If you're going to give these companies protection from liability on the basis that they are simply a broadcaster and not actively selecting what goes up and down, then that's fine. But as soon as they start engaging in the behavior, they no longer meet that qualification and they're not entitled to the liability protection, which means they are not uh, they are now editorial in nature. They are not just publishers or broadcasters. They are editorializing and therefore they lose the protection. 
Liability protection is not a right given to anybody. It is a benefit of law that can be taken away when you don't meet this, the specific parameters any longer. So that's the issue I have with Twitter, with Facebook, with YouTube. I know there's other social media things out there, but I'm old and I don't know them anymore. So just going with those three for now, it's if you want to do this, no problem. But here's the trade-off. You're going to give up the liability protection. You can't go halfway. If you're going to do this, you have to do this full time. Because if you're just going to selectively enforce how this goes, then I'm not going to let you have protection from liability any longer. So make up your mind what you want to be. And I'm, I'm in. You're a private company. You can choose. I'm not going to force you either way. But you don't get to take from both sides of the apple cart. You, you can't have it both ways, the best of both worlds, having your cake and eating it too. It's not, a, it's not how this works. You don't get the protection anymore. You can be sued and lose. All right, let's... Let's stay on COVID, but let's go to so out of character for your us. former employer, the Pentagon. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's an well, accurate statement. I'm just saying. So uh, maybe you guys have heard. I uh, never worked in the Pentagon. I was in the army. That's very different for anybody that was getting confused. But it's by still that. accurate. Still accurate. So, medical researchers at the Pentagon have created a microchip that would detect COVID nineteen when inserted under the skin. It's not horrifying at all i mean it says relaxed conspiracy theories it's not being uh, disseminated via the vaccines yet um so this thing this tech i mean the technology is cool in general but it's amazing it's literally creepy as hell well at the, least it's the pentagon because thank yeah, god oh, if you're yeah. ever going to entrust any entity or organization to safely inject a microchip in you that they promised in pinky swore would only do what they're telling you it'll do and it would only be a benefit to you and nothing else what did you call it a check engine light that's what the uh, uh defense department researcher dr matt hepburn compared the COVID 19 detection microchip in a car to a car's check engine light it's not terrifying at all. Obviously, the Pentagon would never exceed their authority. So, can you put a, a GIF of Edward Snowden somewhere on our, uh, our stuff, just shaking his head the, in bewilderment? The, the, um, the microchip embedded in a tissue-like gel is designed to continuously test the chip's recipient's blood for presence of the virus. Sure. Once COVID-19 is detected, the chip alerts the patient to a, conduct a rapid blood test, which can be self-administered to confirm the positive result, right? See all the autonomy you could ever want. So, you got this little chip privacy. in you. It's on. It's in your skin. You, a day ahead of symptoms, you get a little light. That says, "Hey, you better go get a test." How about you just get the test the day you get the symptoms? That's I mean, that's tomorrow. I, I, you know, because there's such a problem with pre-symptomatic spread. That's the that's the issue. Never mind that the actual data is that well, it is possible. It is still not common, but that's okay because obviously we just needed a microchip from the Pentagon injected into us so the government can continue to keep us safe because they always have our best interest in mind. I mean, it would never be like our Department of Defense to use something seemingly that would be a benefit for people, like, say, a blanket, and then, you know, put something in it that makes it less beneficial, like, say, smallpox. Hmm. Oh, wait, no, we did that. That was something we actually did to the Native American tribes. Oh, and remember when everybody laughed at Edward Snowden and all these people claiming that there was, like, a vast network of american government agencies spying on every american and trying to maintain location and auditory um control or monitoring on every man woman and child in america and everybody's like you guys are crazy you, you idiots oh funny story that turned out to be true um maybe maybe this time though the government and specifically the pentagon 
really, really is acting altruistically. There's no reason for you to be at all concerned that a bunch of government and uh, politicians and bureaucrats will have access to what... I mean, Ben, they're just testing for COVID-19. Obviously, they would never do anything else because it couldn't test for, like, genetic traits that would respond negatively to other things. It couldn't respond... It couldn't maintain your heart palpitations, your uh, triglyceride levels, or anything else. So, obviously, guys... If I could offer anybody some public health Get advice the at the risk of you know me not being a doctor, definitely let the Pentagon inject a chip into you because that could only end well for you, and you will never regret that decision as long as you're alive. Besides, you have nothing to hide, so why do you care? Uh, On a side note, no freaking chance am I getting that. And I don't care if it could tell me the minute I was going to die ahead of it. No, I will happily just die randomly. Yeah. Then have Take that my chances. Take my chances. Oh, my God. How, how do you read this? Like, I think you were the one who sent this to me. I just, I literally burst out laughing. I couldn't stop laughing about this shit. Listen, they had the second sentence in the article had to be like, relaxed conspiracy theorists because how else could you take it? Like they had, they had to like, like, okay, well, people are going to read this exactly the way they should. Right. Of course. Like, oh, so we laughed about these people claiming that there was a microchip that they wanted to inject in persons uh like ah you're an idiot oh well, i guess oh. that's a real thing but it's not in the vaccine oh well, thank god for that distinction thank god i mean I, I was nervous for a minute there but now you've explained why everything's okay speaking of the vaccine i, I don't have this on our list but i wanted to talk about the uh astrazeneca and the johnson johnson vaccines mm-hmm. so both of them are now paused right is that uh so johnson and johnson is paused in america and i think uh, a couple of european countries and astrazeneca is um discontinued in denmark permanently and it's banned in 17 other countries across europe right and so this is a this is um having to do with the uh a blood clot issue um with these two uh, vaccines specifically. Did did you also know that these two vaccines were made in the same pl- manufacturing plant? I only knew that because you told. Oh, okay, that's right. I forgot. I told you that. You but told yeah. me that. Well, I only saw that because they had to destroy 15 million vaccines because they mixed up the ingredients in the factory. Whoops. Is that what wrong? Doing? What are we doing? Is that wrong? Like, if I had known that was wrong, I obviously wouldn't have done it. But what I found striking about the story from Denmark and, and even in Europe is if you got the first dose of your AstraZeneca. You could take the second dose from either Pfizer or Moderna, and I guess that's still okay. Hmm. Like I find, I don't know why, but that doesn't sit right with me. Of like, wait, so you could just mix and match these things? Like that's that's how close all these yeah, are. I never heard any of that. That um, sounds sounds risky. So I right, look, I get the blood clot issue is very uncommon as of what we know right now. One one in a million, I think there's seven out of seven million doses. So. There's two ways you can look at that. One, the government is overreacting in an abundance of caution to protect its citizens, or maybe there's worse things going on that we just don't know about yet, and this is the official reason, so you don't look into it anymore. Maybe there is a higher risk, but I guess it doesn't really matter because it's bad enough that they are stopping it. And again, this is all a cost-benefit. Denmark is banning the AstraZeneca permanently because of cost-benefit. Because they're saying, look, if there's given the heightened risk of this vaccine compared to the other ones, there's not enough benefit offered by it to people. And a lot of the other countries like Sweden, Germany, Italy are banning it for younger people, especially for the same reason of it's a cost benefit. It's not worth the yeah, risk. I heard that the clotting was happening mostly in younger people it's, it's and that there was not any, any issues with the older people, which are really the people who should be taking the vaccine anyway. Right. So, so um, 
this goes back to what you and I have been talking about for weeks now about the vaccines. Uh, I'm not anti-vaccine, and I think if I was older, I might get the vaccine. I'm not. I'm, I'm in my 30s, so I don't feel any need to get it. The idea, and I guess this is something that I find so striking in the entire debate about COVID, the absolute arrogance of people to speak with so much certainty on the vaccines are 100% safe and very effective. We don't know that. I'm sorry, but we don't. You have no idea how safe a vaccine is. You have no idea how your particular genetic code is going to respond to whatever is in this mRNA vaccine. We don't know. Now, I've said this before. I'll keep saying this. I think the vaccines are probably safe for most people. I, I will continue to believe that. But they're not completely safe for everybody. There's no way we could possibly know that. And the utter arrogance of people to come out and tell and try to guilt 15-year-old kids into getting this vaccine you should be ashamed of yourself. Because that's when you're talking about, look, you want to discuss the um, how effective, the effectiveness of the vaccines. We already, we already talked about why I don't buy it. Because you have a virus that really disproportionately affects older people from a mortality standpoint. So then you test the effect of mortality, but you test it on a wide splash of the population that doesn't account for you. You know who this actually affects. And you're, you're out testing it on 24-year-olds and then claiming victory when they don't die? They weren't going to die anyway. You want to find out how effective the vaccine is? Give me the trial I'm asking for. Get everybody in the, in the trial over the age of 65. Give them the vaccine, and then let's see what the actual reduction is because that's what matters. That is when we would know it's effective. Again, it is effective, but the idea that it's 95% is a gross overstatement. You can do that just based on the math and how it works out. And the idea that there's no side effects, no risk, no nothing, you're nuts. Of course there's the risk of side effects. Of course there's a chance that they don't know everything when they rush this vaccine out in a year. Of course we don't know. There's a reason you have to sign away your right to hold the company accountable if something goes wrong. Meaning, even if they knew that this thing was going to cause blood clots in women under the age of 60 at a five times higher rate than what was reported, you can't sue them. That's nuts. Like, and you're, if you want to get it still, God bless you because you're doing the cost-benefit analysis and deciding it's worth it for you. Good for you. Maybe draw or maybe dial down the judgment and the uh, condescension towards the people that are looking at it and going, no, nah, I just don't think it's worth the risk. Well, there's, a there's a gigantic propaganda effort out to try to make sure that everybody who is participating in the vaccine world is promoting the vaccine world to anybody who's not. I mean, how many of these incentivized things? I mean, people, oh, you can come here. and I mean, we, we, we talked about the donut already, the uh, Krispy Kreme giving away donuts, Budweiser's giving away a beer. Um, certain places are allowed, like the most, even a local museum here is allowing people to have, if you have your vaccine, you can come in and get it for free. Whatever. Like, this is all propaganda just to try to normalize this, this, this cause, right? So... I'm not saying it shouldn't be done. I just don't know that it needed to. I, I feel like if we're at a spot where the people want the vaccine, okay, then we hit that spot. Like we don't need the additional uh, uh, pushing and propaganda. I said to to kind of force or or shame people into taking the vaccine or making it seem like they if they don't want to take it, they're not going to take it. I think we're about at the point now, and I'm guessing that's why we're seeing a lot of this propaganda. What I'm calling it now out is because. We've hit we've hit like critical mass. Everybody who wants the vaccine has got it. Everybody who doesn't doesn't, and here we are. Right. And now they have a bunch of extra vaccines that are rotting away in a, in a warehouse someplace, and they're trying to get them into arms. Here's a crazy idea. Give them to Canada. 
Sell the vaccines to Canada. They need them. They don't have any. Like, they're so far behind on vaccinating even their elderly population. And we are sitting on more vaccine than we will ever give away because we have enough to vaccinate every man, woman, and child in America. And there's two extras. I mean, at least two extras. (laughs) And I would say most of the listeners of this show are probably on the same boat. But I guess this is the distinction. Anytime somebody asks me, have you been vaccinated yet? And I say no. They look at me and they feel fully justified in asking, why not? Because I'm not going to at this point, unless the re- unless the data changes, I don't think there's enough benefit, and I'm expected to explain myself to them. If I ask you, "Hey, did you get the vaccine?" Like, yeah, of course I did. If I were to ask, like, just out of curiosity, what made you decide to get it? Like, how dare you? What do you mean, why? Of course I got it because I'm a good person. Like, my bad. Can't be bothered to read a study. Can't be bothered to even read a scientific article raising questions. Can't be bothered to listen to any of these. Here's the. Comparatively speaking, what's more effective, Sean? What's a better measure for preventing yourself from dying of COVID-19 at the age of 50? Take the vaccine or take 5,000 milligrams of vitamin D daily. Vitamin D is the uh, better solution. Statistically speaking, this is an inassailable, unassailable argument. It's the, the math is very clear. You want to know what else a big factor of getting sick and going to the hospital is? Obesity. They're Obesity the is a health issue. I'm sorry, but it is. So we have a bunch of vitamin D deficient individuals who are obese. Well, let's fix the actual problem then. And if you want to get the vaccine instead, God bless you. Go get the vaccine. I would never tell anybody don't get the vaccine. That is not my place. I am not here to tell anybody to get or not get the vaccine. I'll give you whatever information you want to know, and you can make your own decision. Don't come back to me later. If you can't be bothered to read, research, listen to, there is so much information out there. And all anybody wants to do is sit in their little echo chamber, and either the vaccines are a gift from God, hand-delivered by President Biden, or they all contain Pentagon microchips so Bill Gates can know your heart rate. Fun. What a world. We live in the dumbest time in human history. It's idiocracy, too. This is the dumbest time in human history because we have all the information available and nobody can be bothered to read it. Speak, speaking of information. Oh, crap. What? These are trying to make me upset today. No. Let's talk about COVID and kids. Oh, Christ. So two, two new studies, one from, uh, let's see, March 26th, one from April 9th. Uh, both have to do with COVID and children. Yeah. Um, one has to do with the transmission of the virus, and one has to do with uh, masks uh, and, and children. Uh, would you like to start with either one of those start first? Start with or, yours. Which is the transmission one? Transmission. So this study was a basically a comparative study between you know kids and adults and how, how this uh uh, the virus was was transmitted. I'm just going to read right from the interpretation here because it's pretty easy to understand. Uh, compared with adults, children, and I'm going to butcher this word, nasopharyngeal. I think that's close enough. Children with nasopharyngeal swabs that tested positive for SARS-CoV-2, so these are kids who tested positive, were less likely to grow virus in a culture and had higher cycle thresholds and lower viral concentration, suggesting the children are not the main drivers of SARS-CoV-2 transmission. So even the positive kids were not creating enough viral load to actually transmit the virus to another person and creating an infection situation. These kids do not transfer, transmit the virus. It's almost non-existent. It's almost like that's good news. It, it should be the front page standpoint. of every newspaper saying, hey, we figured it out. Look, the kids, even when they're positive, they're not spreading this virus. But 
you know, no one's talking about that. I feel like we live in a twilight zone because this study was done last year, and I think it was May of last year, and found the exact same conclusion. It was like five different studies. Korea had done, China did one, the U.S. did one. Uh, U.S. did two, one from the University of Illinois. Like, no, it's way, they're more likely to spread it. And you're going, hey, but that hasn't held up anywhere in the world. They're not spreading it. But, but of course, that's the one we all talked about, was the one study out of 10 that said, no, no, kids can spread it. We have known this for a year. If you are still not aware of this fact, it's by choice. This is not new. This is the... Yeah, I mean, listen, schools are starting to reopen, but I mean, they should already be open. We, we have enough pl- places where we can see the schools are wide open and there's not a problem. Right. The people are holding on to this are literally just holding on to nothing. Yeah, I, my kids have been in school five days a week all the way through this. They, they have to wear masks. They're all distance and everything else, which is nuts. I, I mean, based, if you're doing this, you're, you're basing it on fear, not on data. All right, if you are pro-child wearing mask in school, you are not following the data whatsoever. Fear or comfort, right? But what about the teachers? Like, again, it's not that. It's that the kids don't spread it to the kids or the teachers. It's not a reception problem. It's a giving out problem. And I don't know if it was a study that you were just referencing there, but I feel like all of the transmissions that happened in that earlier study were from adults to the kids. It wasn't even the kids... And it it's was, adults to adults. Like, there right. was a great study that was done early on, and I haven't followed up on the data, but I, I reasonably believe it's held up since I was looking at this back in, I think, November. If you compared school districts that were fully open, school districts that were, f- like, remote or hybrid, and school districts that were fully remote, the spread amongst teachers was identical in schools that were fully open and schools that were fully closed. Meaning... It's not the kids. Like, there's no other conclusion to reasonably draw. Yes, there is a one-tenth of one percent exception that maybe it is, but we just have been avoiding it somehow. But that's not following the science. Right. That is following fear. You're not following the 99.9% likelihood. Yeah, You're but we're playing... making policy for that one that point. Of course 1%. we are. This is nuts. Like, I can't, I can't fathom how stupid this all got how quickly. Uh Kids don't drive it. Kids don't spread it. I, we've known this forever. Yes, I, I understand that there are exceptions to the rule. I got it. I'm not going to live my life afraid of getting struck by lightning. It could happen. I understand that fact. But I am not going to go inside every time it's cloudy because that would be insane. And that's what we're doing right now is basically it, it's cloudy out. So we're putting masks on all the kids to get them inside to protect them for their own good. It's insanity. This is crazy. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, so, let's uh, let's go to. Let's finish up with one of our favorite topics, masks. Oh, my God. All right. So there was a study that the CDC put out, and I hope that maybe we can send a link to this study. Um, It was in Florida. So they basically looked at Florida and said, all right, we're going to compare the school districts that have made masks optional or that make people wear them. So the school districts that are a little more lax with their policies are ones that are mandating and it's by size and everything else. So they compared these two things, and they concluded masks and other non-pharmaceutical interventions are an important part of controlling spread amongst the students. That was their conclusion. So first off, let's talk about how they set this up. Who has COVID? Symptomatic or asymptomatic doesn't matter. Positive PCR test or antigen test means you have COVID, whether or not you have symptoms, which in and of itself is a flawed way of using the test, but we've covered that to death. So already you're getting a very expansive definition of who has COVID by any measure in this test. The next one is, all right, what is a school case? If you come in with a positive test whatsoever, if you stepped foot on the school grounds in the previous 14 days for any reason, 
And I like in the study, it lists out the reasons as if you went for uh, educational, athletic, extracurricular, or any other reason. So I'm not sure why they bothered to break it out, because any other reason, if you were on school grounds the 14 days previous to symptoms or your positive test, you got that's a case at school. And then an outbreak at school is two or more in the same school around the same time. All right. So it's a really, really, I'm going to call it unscientific way of doing this, but let's just go with expansive to be nice. That's a really generous thing. So, all right, you said they noticed that the schools that were larger and had more mask mandates did better, and they had, they had fewer school cases, school cases, fewer. So, all right, great. Now let's dive in and see what that actually means. So, number one, take a guess. Overall, across all the schools, what percentage of kids ended up with COVID? Oof, I don't know. One? Less than 1%. So less than 1% do I, of do all Do I win the kids, showcase showdown? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You're I going, was over, though. Go for the RV. Oh. Uh, all, so all in, less than 1% of the kids had COVID. And less than 1% had school-related COVID. Even of the kids that did have COVID, most of them weren't school-related, and they couldn't trace it back to the school at all anyway. All right. So you're talking about such a small portion of everything that to draw a distinction between the mass and distancing versus those that aren't seems sort of arbitrary because it's already so low that you're, you're comparing such small numbers. Um, so then it got even funnier as time goes, as you start reading more about this, um, no deaths. And there was a handful of hospitalizations, a hundred people went to the hospital. It doesn't give how many like got very sick versus not, but, um, 13 staff, 13 staff across all the school districts, uh, ended up dying of COVID. Out of the 13, seven had obesity. Four of them were over the age of 60 and had other chronic conditions. That's uh, 11. Yeah. yeah. Unless there's overlap there, which I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. It, it's not clear on that. But, all right, so you, you're already, I'm already looking at the skeptical of like, all right, so you're having a very expansive definition of who has COVID-19. You, anybody with a positive PCR test, which we have already discussed at length, how flawed that methodology is with no symptoms, is counts. And then if you've been on school grounds in the previous 14 days, you count as a, a school case. And they studied this from August through December of last year across all these Florida schools. And the conclusion was the large school district, which tended to be in bigger cities that had more restrictions in place, had fewer school cases. Now, never mind all the distinctions we've already drawn here, which should raise legitimate questions about drawing that conclusion of how much better could it have been if neither one got above 1%? I mean, how much better could these, how much of a difference did these measures actually make if neither group got above a 1% school case rate? At the very, literally the last sentence of the study, you have to read all the way to the bottom, and I don't want to get this sentence wrong. Finally, results should be interpreted with caution because most students in the largest school districts did not resume in-person education for the first part of the analysis period. Well, seems, seems thorough. The last sentence points out the large case schools did better because they had fewer cases that could be traced back to the school and they wait till the, and they're, they're saying it's because they did mass and distancing, not because no one was allowed on the school ground for the first part of the study. 
This is, you want to know why people doubt science? This is why. Because this is nonsense. This is not science. This is propaganda. You're telling me, all right, Sean, I'm going to try to see who has more COVID cases coming out of our respective houses. And all that matters is if somebody went to your house in the previous six months and then ended up with COVID or mine. Okay. But I was in my summer home and nobody went to my house whatsoever. So you did worse, but it's because I wore a mask. You're so safety conscious. This is nuts. This is insanity of you. The CDC, the federal agency, the CDC put this on our website and went, see, masking kids is smart. And you have to read the whole study. Now, the whole study is so flawed. Again, fewer than 1% across any of the school districts had a school-related case. And somehow, even in that, within the margin of error of the study, you're claiming victory for masks. Crazy. You're having the most expansive definition, not even worried about symptomatic cases. Crazy. Lastly, you set up the game so that one side was guaranteed to win. So imagine what would be the case if those large school districts with all their masks and everything else had been in school in August during the peak season of Florida. Maybe those numbers would have changed a little bit, huh? Yeah, there would probably have been more. Maybe they would have even exceeded the ones, but God forbid, hey, wait, wait, I don't want to be anti-science or point out that masks in and of themselves are highly ineffective against stopping COVID. Children don't effectively spread COVID. So obviously the answer is put masks on children because that'll stop everything. Yeah. Well, this is the problem with it. And before anybody jumps down my throat about the mask thing, it's very simple. Yes, a mask can stop a droplet from going. What happens to the droplet and what happens to the virus within it when it sits on your mask? Your mask is not a force field. It's not some kind of laser defense filled with vitamin D and UV rays that kills off the virus. Dude, we should call Mark Cuban for Shark Tank right now. (laughs) (laughs) Let's jump on this one. That's fresh. Like, yes, your droplet stops in the mask. The virus does not. And in fact, becomes aerosolized as you continue to breathe on it over time. And it goes further. So, yes, I understand a mask can stop a droplet for a temporary period of time. Not indefinitely, not forever, and the virus is so small that, get this, just because it started on the droplet doesn't mean it has to stay on the droplet forever. It can actually go further, and it can be expelled from the droplet after the droplet gets blocked by your first exhale. Guess what you do? You take a nice deep inhale, and you put a bunch of force behind that virus the second time, and son of a gun, if that droplet can't hold on to that virus forever and it just expels. Or or you sucked it in. Or you sucked it in. I mean, it's either going further into your lung tissue or wherever, or it's uh, going into somebody else's uh, face. Right. And the idea that we cannot, like... Germ sprayers, I like to call those masks. The dumbest time in human history. The fact that people can't be bothered to... Like, this is the most common sense thing known to man. If you think about it for more than five minutes and go... Oh, yeah, if I did have the virus, because that's the whole benefit of masks, I wear mine to protect you. We've all acknowledged it doesn't do anything to stop me from getting it. What happens to the virus that goes onto your mask? Does it die? Does it die when it hits oxygen? Does it die when it hits the air? Does it just get stuck in your mask indefinitely? How much can your cloth mask hold? How much can your paper mask hold? Is there any way for the virus to become dislodged from the droplet that the mask actually stopped? Listen, I, I said, so I, you know, I have a, I was, I don't know if she's a friend, but she's a social media friend and she's a clinical hygienist. And this is what she, this has been her mantra. She's like, just ask anybody if they think that the droplets trapped in their mask permanently, just ask them. Like no one will ever know. Like they don't even think about it. Right. They, they just think, oh, the mask worked. 
they don't, I mean, you can't see it, so you can't really tell unless you're kind of running some uh, pseudo experiment, I guess. It's but the hardest yeah. thing for me to shut up when somebody like who's a like a COVID believer, and I'm trying to be polite, I'm trying to be respectful, and they're like, I just don't understand how it happened. I always wore a mask. Like, yeah, mystery. I, I got nothing. How, how did that mask not stop you from spreading COVID? It's, it's weird. Yeah, no, I, it's all correct. It's, it's, I, you know, we've been talking about this for months, and the problem we're is, still talking about it. Listen. We've been talking about this for months, and we've sort of evolved our arguments. We've we've modified them. The central one has remained the same, which is not that COVID is not serious. It's just our response has been awful, and it's yeah. not been measured to the science. Yeah, I know. I, I said I repeatedly, you know, quote Jay Bhattacharya, and I I trust his opinion uh, more than mine and yours. And he basically has called this repeatedly the worst public health mistake in over a hundred years. I, and it's it's becoming harder and harder to argue that point. So. The idea, though, that everybody, we keep hearing this, so when you point out the inconsistencies and how ineffective everything has been, you always hear back, well, it's because science always changes, and we're trying to make the decisions based on the information at the time. Great, but you're not. The problem is you're not changing the stance on anything, and you're being so loyal to your original ideas that there's nobody that can say, okay, it was wrong. The reality is we've known this about children for a year. The fact that schools are closed is completely unjustifiable. We've known this about children since at least last May. This is not new information. That information has not changed. The information around asymptomatic spread has not changed in a year. The information around pre-symptomatic spread has not changed. Not the information regarding masks, the data surrounding masks, mask usage and mask compliance has not changed. The data didn't change. The public policy people are just trying to find justifications for how badly they got it. If masks were so effective, why is it that there's not one area in the entire world that had COVID started having mass compliance with mask rules and saw a predictable drop in COVID cases? Hasn't happened anywhere in the world. Folks, it's been a year. It should have happened somewhere yeah, just would, on statistical luck. It should have happened. Yeah, it hasn't. Yeah, nobody can point to it. Or they try to point to these, you know, isolated Taiwan or Korea this or whatever. But it's it's it literally has all fallen apart. Everything and then you give it more time. Yeah. And it stops, right? Like, and what was the one, uh, the Czech Republic baby that everybody pointed to as this massive success because they distanced and had it, and then they ended up just got it late. Yeah. And you know what happened? They had the worst results in all of Europe for like two straight months because they were playing catch up with everybody else. Because ultimately, look, yes, COVID is a very, very serious threat for the people over the age of 70. If you are over 70, I, my opinion would be it's probably worth getting the vaccine, especially if you have comorbidity factors like obesity. In the meantime, what you should be doing, and I say this for everybody over the age of 70 or under, you should be taking vitamin D every day, particularly if you live in the northern hemisphere, the northern part of the northern hemisphere. To not do so is neglectful to your body's health. Should be taking it. It will be far more effective for you. It will give you more protection. Based on any study I've run, look, I'm, I'm open. If you've got a study that refutes that, I'll read it. If nothing else, I will tell you, I am open to whatever information you can throw at me. But when you throw me nonsensical studies like the one that the CDC just put out here, please don't expect me to fall in lockstep and just go, well, it's the CDC and they're scientists, so they're smart. Obviously, they're not. Because if they are smart, then they're disingenuous. So you get to pick which one you want them to be. The scientists that did that study and reached that conclusion, you can tell me, are they stupid or are they disingenuous? Because it's got to be one or the other. Disingenuous is my vote. Yeah, they're probably not stupid. All right, Mr. Hughesong, anything else? Uh, we are uh, wrapping up uh, episode 45 here. I'm good. 
I think I'm good too. I think next week what we got to revisit is that study about excess deaths over the last year. Okay. The uh, the one I just sent you there from yeah, from yeah okay Barrington, yeah yeah okay we can do that. We always got COVID talk. So, all right. On that note, we're going to let you go. Enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, thank you for tuning in and joining us. And uh, we'll be back here again next Monday, 12 p.m. Eastern time for episode 46. Uh, Mr. Hughesong, thank you for your time. And uh, again, please uh, like, share, subscribe, and uh, hit that notification bell for uh, updates on our new content. And uh, until next week, we will see you then.